Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we're kicking off a new series um, right now, this moment. Never done before at Celebration Church. And we simply called this series Unalone. And it's so important because what the enemy wants to do is to get us isolated and to get us alone. We were built to live in community. God designed you to thrive and to live in community. And what the enemy wants to do is wants to get you frustrated and irritated and upset with everybody you know and keep everybody at an arm's distance and what that's doing. So many times we feel like that's protecting ourselves, but really what it's not, it's isolating and it's making us at significant, significant risk in life. Because we were created. We were created for our lives to be lived and enjoyed with others. I want us to go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're just going to go ahead and, and jump into the scriptures this morning. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 16. And here Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches <coughs> he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I think all of us want that. All of us want to be strengthened in our inner being with his glorious riches. We, we want that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. We all want power. We all want to to not feel weak and defeated. We want God's power at work in our lives. That's why we show up at church. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we connect. We recognize that there's some things that God can do in our lives that we are helpless to do for ourselves. But here is this next word that is so incredibly vital and if we're not careful we can have this come in and things can get short-circuited in a hurry it says may have power together with all the lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but that is my regular prayer, is I want to be filled with the full measure of who he is and what he's done. I don't want to shortchange myself on anything that what God has done, what Christ has provided. I don't want to be shortchanged on any front in that. And for me to do that, according to what Paul is, is praying and is speaking, is that that is not, uh, not going to happen for Brandon Clark by himself. And it's not going to happen for you by yourself. This only happens together. If you want to understand how, how incredibly wide God's love is, you're going to have to do that in conjunction with other people. How long and high and deep is God's love? That's only going to happen with other people. 
See, there is this beautiful thing that takes place. And that's one of my favorite parts of being a pastor is I get a front row seat into, into all your stories, especially as, as I get in, and called in and, into counseling situations or prayer requests or different, different issues, that I get to get involved and see God at work in your life. And I get to have a better understanding of who God is and, and what he's about as I see God move in your life. And that's the way it should work for you as God works and moves in my life and in your friends' lives. And all of a sudden, you get a bigger picture of who God is as, you, as we hear God at work in different people's lives. That's how we get together the fullness of it. Anything that is, has that kind of scale to it, that kind of wide, long, high, and deep, it has to be taken on together. And one of the, the best illustrations that I know of for this goes, goes way, way back into my ministry training career. Pastor John Holler, Dr. John T. Holler, who's now the executive director at Christ for the Nations, was my mentor and pastor and still is to this day. And he has long told the story of the golden plover. And the golden plover is one of these that is just, it's just embedded in me. Now, part of it was is, is uh, he took uh, Cutie and I along with him, and we went to, uh, to ride along, and he went to, to Midland and was interviewed on live TV for three hours. That is a long interview. I don't care who you are. John Holler has plenty to say, and he can go for three hours. Um, but he was concerned that it was going to run out of some run out of something, and maybe the interviewer was going to get a little weak. So we were in the audience, and there on the front row of the audience, and he told me, he said, if it starts to get a little weak, he said, I want you to do this. And I said, but with both arms, but I can't with this silly handheld mic. And he said, and I'll know that he'll interject the golden plover story. And he says, if it gets a little, it starts getting a little boring, start doing that. So, man, I couldn't wait. I was looking for a boring part so that I could be the idiot in the audience <laughs> doing this, and my boss couldn't get on to me for it. And so... Thankfully, he, uh, he kept it lively, and, and I never got to pull the trigger on the golden plover, so I'm just going to tell you the story myself. But one of the cool things about the golden plover is the golden plover is a true American, okay? As, as in American as any animal can be, because the golden plover only lives in two places, Alaska and Hawaii. Lives two places. Will not go set foot on non-American soil, man. I'm telling you, it's American through and through. And so it lives the summertime in Alaska, and then in the winter, smart bird gets out of Alaska and goes to beautiful, awesome Hawaii. Now, the thing is, is between Alaska and Hawaii, there's no other ground. There's no little islands, no little stop-off points. There's nothing. There's 2,500 miles of ocean. 2,500 miles of ocean, and this is a little bird that normally weighs five ounces. This isn't a big old goose. This isn't a big old duck. This is this little bird that weighs about four to five ounces. Can't drop under four and a half ounces in, in weight, and it has to go the distance. This is an 88-hour nonstop flight. Well, scientists were really intrigued about how this little tiny bird was able to do this. So they studied the golden plover, and they did all this. They watched it in flight. They measured it and recognized how much this bird burns in flight and how much it, it, it did this. And when it was all said and done, 
they recognized that this bird would get into Alaska and eat all its little grubs and all this stuff, and it'd get really plump. It'd put, get a full seven ounces in weight. Seven ounces, man. Get nice and fat. Which was two and a half extra ounces of fat, that it, extra body weight that it didn't need so that it could make the journey. Here's the problem is that the golden plover's burn rate, it needed three ounces of energy to be able to make the journey. So according to science, about 400 miles from Hawaii, wouldn't even see the shores at all. It would just kind of starve to death and bink, end up as, you know, fish food. And so the little bird can't swim. It has to make it nonstop. Well, the golden plover does something really cool. It does not go the distance alone. It doesn't go up that high and that deep and that far and that long by itself. It can't grasp that journey by itself. But those little birds fly in the little V formation, and it saves 23% of its energy burning capacity. Well, to make that journey, it needed 20% more energy, so it actually has 3% reserves, which you call me, you ask me, that's not much, much left in the tank. But it does it twice a year, every year. It does what is impossible, absolutely impossible by itself because it does not do it alone. Folks, you and I, well, there's some, some pieces of God that we can get a hold of. You and your personal Bible study can get a hold of some amazing things, and you can begin to get some glimpses and some pictures of God, and God wants to reveal himself to you, but you will never fully understand how high and deep and long is the love of God until you begin to get with other people and begin to see what the Spirit of God is revealing to them. Then all of a sudden, as these different pieces come together, you can have your puzzle piece and know it inside and out. You can have your puzzle piece and know it so much that it gets thrown in the box and you can grab your puzzle piece again. But you're still not going to have the whole picture until they all come together. They're still not. You may understand yours and you may have your piece inside and out. But until they're all put together, folks, we can't do it. You cannot grow without being connected in a life-giving, meaningful way with other people. You just can't do it. This isn't a one-off here in Ephesians. Paul says the same concept when he writes to the believers in Colossae. Let's look at Colossae chapter 2, verses <coughs> 2 through 3. It says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does he want? He wants us to be united in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding. We're not going to have it. We're not going to have it isolated. We're not going to have it by ourselves. It's just not going to take place. We desperately need each other. And we don't just need the believers who gather together in this location. We need the believers who are gathering all over San Angelo in other locations. God is bringing a revelation and is growing other people in this, in this community to understand him. So we have to say, you know what? I don't care what denominational 
thing holds over the door. They have an understanding that I desperately need. And I tell you what, when Cutie and I were, were traveling right before we started Celebration Church, we spent uh, 2008 uh, traveling. We had, had our, been really rooted in San Angelo, loved this community, and God put it on our hearts to, to sell everything. Um, we had quite a few rental properties and some, some self-storage complexes and some stuff and, and lots of friends and family and ministry here and, and to just sell it all. And we bought a motor home, and we only, we only had five kids at that time, small family, and, uh, and loaded up in the motor home and went and traveled and went and traveled and visited lots and lots and lots of different churches around, around the U.S. And we didn't just go to churches that, that <coughs> operated the way we would operate. We let God lead our steps, and he took us into some really, really amazing places. And honestly, there were some places that if we would have been in that community, that probably wasn't the church we would have we attended in that community because it just wasn't our flavor. But God had us connect because they were doing some stuff and there were some things we needed to learn. That they had a picture of, of how big and wonderful God was that we needed to add to it. And we were not going to be ready to step out and to do Celebration Church and to lead the way we needed to lead without God making that deposit in our lives. And I tell you what, I never, I, I never dreamed, I never dreamed that I would be such a... I used the word spiritual bigot, and I just was. I didn't know. I didn't know. I really thought that I loved the other churches in our community and, and, and respected and, and was thankful. But then as I would show up and connect, and I would, man, I, God would just have me sit down with somebody, and, and I wouldn't know their label. It was just a believer. It was just, it was just somebody that was getting something done. And I'd spend time, and I would interview them, and I'd take pages of notes. And then somehow at the end of it, their label would come out at the end, their denomination, who they were affiliated with. This thing would come out, and, and all of a sudden this thing would go, you know what? If I'd have known that on the front side, I don't know that I'd have thought I could learn anything here. I'd have thought they were a couple of steps behind me. And, man, they were way ahead of me. And I had no idea that that, oh, that ugly nasty, horrible thing was in my heart. And man, the first time it happened, I was just, I got along with God and I just repented. I said, God, I'm, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I isolated myself from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sorry that I thought I, I couldn't learn anything over there. God, I'm, I don't want that. And thought it was gone. And then it happened again. And I repented again. And then it happened on another front. And I repented again. I was like, God, how deep does this go? How deep does it go? I was like, God, get it all out of me. I don't want anybody that I'm going to spend eternity with for somehow me to keep at arm's length while I'm on this planet. How sad, how horrible for me to do that. And to think that somehow that my understanding of who God is is a couple steps ahead of somebody else's. Man, I tell you what, God, what God did in me during that time period is when he brought me right back to where I ministered before, right back into the same community. But it changed me forever because now I'm, I've passed the other churches in this community and I'm so grateful that they're doing church that way. I am so grateful they're reaching out to people and, and making an impact with people's lives that I would never be able to do 
preaching in a certain vein of thought, preaching in a, with a certain style of music. You know what? I love our worship. Don't we have a killer worship team? Our worship is amazing, man. I was only out for one week, and it was like I just was just drinking it in. It was like, oh, my gosh, I miss this. It's awesome. And that wasn't that creepy Hannibal Lecter version either. That was, that was a good one. And so now I'm off base. Anyways, but I love our worship. I love what Nat and our team does. But you know what? There are plenty of people in San Angelo that it would be a distraction. They wouldn't be able to do it. You know what? And that was one of the beautiful things. I was able to, to go into some places and worship and worship without any instruments whatsoever. And it was meaningful and it was heartfelt. And it, it, was, it was wonderful to be able to take some of these wonderful centuries-old hymns that maybe they feel a little dusty, but you read the words and they're just so full of grace and love and depth. Folks, we can't disregard all of this other stuff that, that God is doing. We desperately need each other. If we're going to understand the fullness of our amazing God, we've got to lock arms with each other. And then we've got to be willing to open our mouths and share our God stories. If you haven't told your God story in a while, you need to tell somebody. You need to tell them how you came to Christ. You need to tell them whenever you, when, <coughs> about that big moment where God made a difference when there was no other way. And then exchange and tell that person, say, I now want to hear your God story. Because I guarantee you're going to walk away from that encounter with a bigger understanding of how deep and how high and how wonderful is the love of God. And you just will. So I just want to quickly spend some little time to show you how, how far back and how deep this concept of community goes. Because God thrived us to live in community, and it has always been this way. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going all the way back to creation, and we're in, we're in two. We haven't even touched three yet. Three is where the fall happens. Three is where humanity decides that maybe God's not as good as they'd hoped he would be and decides to go their own way. But two, that hasn't happened yet. Two is still pre-fall. Still God is in this creating mode. And let's look at Genesis 2, verses 15 and through, through 18. It says, The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I could spend a little bit of time on here, but you notice that he had not sinned and he's still working. Working is not the penalty for, for sin, okay? Doing work you hate. Trying to pull a living by its teeth out of the ground, trying to just pull it out and just do that's, that is stepping into that place. That is what, that is what the, the penalty of sin was. And in, in that, in Christ, there's covered. We get to live lives the way we were designed to live and do life work that's meaningful and life-giving and not feel like we're trying to pull a living out of the ground or out of our employer. That's a totally different sermon. It says, but <coughs> the Garden of Eden to work and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Now, all he told them is that if you eat from it, you're going to die. They could have laid in the shade of it. They could have grabbed the fruit and thrown it around like a football. They just weren't supposed to eat it. He says, if you eat it, you'll certainly die. And the Lord God said, it's not. <coughs> and so this is what's kind of funny. Sorry, guys. Because he shows them you're not supposed to eat it or you will certainly die. And then the scripture's very next thought is, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> Don't eat this fruit. Oh, man. We're going to need a helper here. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. See, God in the middle as he's creating, he creates on day one and says it's good, and he creates on day two, and he says it's good, and it's all good, 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 good. Sin had not entered at all, and God sees this place where man is alone, and he says it's not good. It's not because of sin. It's because it was things weren't finished. We needed to be together. So here God sees that it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. And so he's going to make a helper suitable for him. He sees the problem and he has the solution. He's going to create. He's going to fix it. Now, under my normal thought pattern, it would be, okay, God sees the problem, God has a plan to fix it, and then God fixes it. But that's not how this, that's not how this unfolds. Let's look and see how this unfolds. Why? Because we must recognize our need for the people, <coughs> for the people that God puts in our lives. We have to recognize that there's something missing. We won't really embrace when this wonderful thing comes along if we don't recognize that it was missing. Genesis 2, 19 through 20. So God makes a plan, says it's not good for man to be alone. Then he says he's going to make a helper suitable for him. And then the very next thing God does is this wonderful little thing that we talk about in the nursery and whatnot. And God brings all of the animals before Adam and he names them. He says, so now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Guess what? Even the dog came by, and Adam had not found his best friend. There was no suitable connection. There was none. There was none. And Adam has an awareness that here in all of creation, there's this beautiful place of community. And somehow he doesn't have that. He has a relationship with God, and that's good, but there was, that was not its completed end. If you say, you know what, well, me and God got our own thing going, guess what? God would look at that and say, it's not good. We so want to say, think that. Well, guess what? It's just me and God, and we've got this. What is the underlying thing that makes you want to grasp onto that so much? Well, people hurt me. Well, people aren't trustworthy. People frustrate me. People make me want to choke them. Yes, 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 yes. We all have that problem. But it's not good. We weren't built 
to live that way. So when once we recognize that there's a need and God steps in, a need for the people that God puts into our lives, then we've got to trust God to bring the right people into our lives. There in the next verse, verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with, <coughs> with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. God made that introduction. He made that connection. Now, we know if you've been in the, this whole Bible thing very long, we, we know chapter 3 is coming. Chapter 3 is coming, and it doesn't happen in a place of isolation. There's Adam, there's Eve together. They step over into pushing God out, going their own way, and falling into a place of sin. Things unraveled for them together. But here's what I don't want you to operate under the false idea. Because so many times we think, man, if, if God, when God puts somebody in our lives, then if it's really a God relationship, then this is going to be a smooth, easy relationship, and it's not going to have any problems or trouble. But that's not even true. If there's, It's not even true of the very first relationship. The one we know God put together. So if we can't hold that standard to the very first one, that all of a sudden we know God put these two people together, that all of a sudden if we can't hold the standard, it says, well, well then th that relationship was trouble-free. Guess what? They walk away from God. They get evicted. They have to go out and do work they never were, were intended to do. But the whole time, God's best and highest plan was still included both of them together. We have to be willing to embrace the relationships and understand that there may be some troubles. There may be some difficulties. If you operate under this false premise that if you've got the right person in your life, then life's going to be trouble-free, it is a lie. Put that away right now. That will bring you more heartbreak all by itself. Why? Because it adds heartbreak to the heartbreak. Somebody that God's put in your life will hurt you. Somebody that God's put in your life will fail you. Somebody that God's put in your life will disappoint you. And then you'll look at that failure and you'll look at that hurt and you'll look at that disappointment. And then you'll add heartbreak onto that because you're like, well, obviously I missed it. Obviously that wasn't the, the right relationship. Obviously there was something that, that went off here. And then you get, you'll double down on the failure of it. You'll double down on the heartbreak of it. Instead of saying, God, how are you going to bring redemption? God, how are you going to fix this? God, how are you going to walk this out? Because guess what? God's ultimate plan is for all of us to be connected in life-giving relationship. All of us. There were some of us that he's like, you know what? Those are, we can discard those people. None. It's God's will that none should perish. So our our reaction should always be when, when trouble comes, when pain comes, when hurt comes, say, God, how are you going to fix this? This was not your plan. This was not what you desired. How does redemption come here? Why? Because this principle here in Ecclesiastes 4, as we close with this, 
comes along. See, the truth are two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If we just look at this at the most basic, basic, basic thing for relationships of just surviving, we need each other. Maybe you're a person who doesn't like people a whole lot. Maybe yesterday you were looking for property far, far away from everyone. Go buy a little ranch and get in a little house and get your little garden and never need anyone again. Guess what? You still, you still have a place. Even if you can provide all your own needs. You know what? I don't want to make my own bread. I want to go to the store and buy it. I thank God for the people at H-E-B and the, and the bakeries and the people that drive the truck so I can have a sandwich. And I didn't have to grind the bread and bake it myself. I'm thankful for that. But you know what? If I could do all of that, I would st- I'd still need all those same people in my community. It's not just that they help me have a sandwich. I would still need them. When we just look at the very basic thing, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Guess what? Falls happen. Trips happen. Stumbles happen. There was my <coughs> my youngest uh, Preslin yesterday. She likes to, she loves the toys that aren't toys. We get her toys and she does the whole thing and play with the tube. And she she carried around um, this little thing that wasn't even a baby doll. It was like this, might have been well, it's been a stick. Do you remember what it was? It was this thing, and she got oh, it was a water bottle. She carried around a water bottle. She has babies everywhere. She carried around a water bottle and called it her baby. Here's her baby. You know, as if you carry it out in public, people are like, man, somebody need a, those sad Clark people, they need to buy that kid a doll. <laughs> Here, it's, <laughs> they, they did this in the Depression. It'll work today. <laughs> Draw a face on it. <laughs> it's your baby. It's, we call it Desane. Custom clothes already. <laughs> and she's carrying that around. She loved that. She loved playing pretend and all that. And she got on her, she got a, had a little clothes uh, hamper thing, a little laundry basket on her bed. And she got into the, got into the clothes hamper. And I'm not sure if she was thinking it was her car. She, play, she was there for like 45 minutes inside this laundry basket. On her bed. And she rolled because the bed's bushy, according to her. And so it's squishy. And she rolled over and that she was sitting on her hiney. And she rolls over and she falls against her headboard. And in one fell swoop, sticks herself inside of a laundry basket cage inside her bed. Because she's on her back, her head is pinned against the, the headboard, her feet are up in the air, and she's completely in a cage. I mean, it's like this little, this little child's trap snoop, just caught her. And she's in there just going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. How 
wonderful was it that I happened to actually be upstairs? And I didn't take a picture to post it on Facebook first. I did good this time. And so and was able to get her out. Why? Because she didn't mean to. She didn't mean to trap herself. She didn't mean to end up in a, in a place that she couldn't do anything for herself. She was just playing. She was just having fun. But you know what? I mean, sometimes we do dumb stuff. Sometimes we do mean stuff that gets ourselves isolated. And get, but sometimes we're just going through life. And there's some consequences we didn't think about. And praise God that God puts people in our lives for those moments and for those times. 2017 can, can hold a whole lot of things. There's going to be some really amazing moments in your life. And I hope that right now there are some faces coming to mind of who you want to share those amazing moments with. 2017 is going to have some bumps. I know because 2016 did and 2015 did and 2014 did. It's just the way life goes. Some of them are going to be little bumps, and for some of you, they're going to be some really big bumps. But the key to navigating this is keeping those two lines of communication and relationship going, is that relationship with God and that relationship with others. How your 2017 goes, the sweet moments are going to be ten times sweeter when you have people to share them with and to love them with and to celebrate them with. And the hard times and the bumps are going to be way less bumpy when you have people who are Ecclesiastes 4 kind of people in your life so that when that trip and that fall and that bump comes that they're able to pick you up and to help you move. I hope all your financial goals are met in 2017. I hope your weight loss goals are met in 2017. I hope all of the other stuff, your remodel on your house goals, all those things. But please, 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 my prayer for you is that your relationships in 2017 get stronger than they ever have been. That your relationships with each other and your relationship with God get stronger than they've ever been. If you haven't made a decision to do something a little bit different this year to cultivate relationships, then I want to challenge you today. Put something in there. Decide to write some notes to people and, and tell them how, what they mean to you. And write one note a week. Take you 15 minutes. Married couples, if you don't already have a date night, get a date night. Cultivate that relationship. Employers, if you're not good at saying thank you to your employees, cultivate those relationships. Employees, if you're not good at telling your boss you're thankful to have a job and you appreciate being there, do it. All relationships need water and love and nourishment. And when it's at the end, relationships, people are the only thing that's eternal. Everything else is not. They're the only thing that's eternal. And because we're the only thing that's eternal, then God sent his son to make sure that that was handled forever. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.